You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. How's it going? I'm hanging in there. How about you? Yeah, much the same. Yeah, much it's the same. Still a lot of weirdness going on with uh, changes to the schedule. Acclimatizing to the new norm. I'm completely Zoom meeting out. Are you? That's a thing. Are yeah. you exhausted by it? I'm totally exhausted. Do I you... started doing what you've re- suggested, uh, which is turn off the video if you can. Yeah, there's this pressure to have video on. Actually, I was on a conference call the other day. And while other people were talking, I turned off my video and I got called out for it. They said, oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I just felt like having my video off. I don't always want people looking at me. And you know what? I'm distracted by myself. <laughs> just being real. <laughs> no, of course. You, like, you're looking at yourself. So you're looking at yourself as other people are looking at you. Yeah. And yeah, you need a break from it for sure. And we've talked about this and there's research on how exhausting video calls can be, how much more exhausting they can be than in-person meetings. So one thing I'm noticing is that folks are consistently requesting Zoom calls when in fact, these could easily be phone calls or emails. Yeah, the, the, the effectiveness of a very concise email. I said that last week to a gentleman. He requested a meeting. I said, can we just have a phone call? Yeah. And it was fine. And it works out. Yep. They don't see your face. Nope. I mean, be honest, you just don't want to do your hair. Completely, 100%. Brandon's hair was out of control for a while there. Yeah, three and a half months without a haircut. It was looking pretty... Pretty wild. Yeah. Pretty, my neighbors kept calling you different names. Like, I don't know if they were actors or, um, you know, singers or something, but we're so much younger that I had no clue who they were talking about. Did you know the names they were calling you? No, I thought I kind of looked like Sideshow Bob for a little while with the hair and... All different directions. That one I know. Now, I'm excited because I'm going to be uh, hawking wares on television uh, in a couple of weeks or, you know, actually in the upcoming week on TSC. So I think a lot of people think TSC is the shopping channel, but the brand is actually today's shopping choice. Probably won't get into the fact that they probably just didn't want to pay for the name when they (laughs) bought the station. But there is there's a show and I'm really excited to to be representing WeVibe and Womanizer on this show. So I thought I was going to be, I thought I would shout out Womanizer because many people aren't familiar with the brand. And Womanizer is not a vibrator. It's this pleasure air toy and it's on sale right now. So the to-go version in Canada is on sale for $59, which is a bit of a steal. Uh, It's normally $159. So I'm guessing in the States, I can't see the American site because I'd have to turn on my VPN and I wouldn't do that. So it's probably like 50 bucks, but you can't hold me to that. Okay. I'm not an official spokesperson naming prices, but this is what I see on my website right now. So I suggest people check it out. Uh, The Womanizer toy has a small opening that fits kind of around the head of the clitoris. And then it releases these waves uh, of air, these gentle, very, very gentle design for kind of the really sensitive nerve endings of the head of the clit. And so I gave one to a friend and I wanted her to come on the podcast because she's complaining that she's done in 10 seconds. She's like, well, I just come in 10 seconds. So why would I, why would I, her, her words the other night over wine were, why would I jerk off when I can just do this? in 10 seconds she actually said to me she was like i feel like i didn't earn it (laughs) i was like well that's amazing she goes it took me 10 seconds i feel like i need to do more work to get what i got 
so she's pretty pretty excited about it. I'm excited about it. You can check it out on t- on TSC, but also womanizer.com. And I suggest please use code Dr. Jess, D-R-J-E-S-S, to save a couple extra dollars. And now it's time to get to the topic at hand. Joining us today to talk about pelvic pain is Dr. Sonia Balani, founder of Pelvic Pain Doc and author of a new book, The Holistic Guide to Navigating Pelvic Pain. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. How did you find your way into working around the topic of pelvic pain and pain during sex? It's so interesting, but you know, when I did my residency, no one was talking about this stuff. And yet I would have women come into the office and say, I have all of these issues. And I'd hear practitioners say, you know what, just have a glass of wine before sex. And it just seemed so archaic and just so inefficient for patients. And we weren't really diagnosing and treating them. So that's really when I decided to kind of dedicate my career to it. And it's been an amazing road. And and now I see men too. So it's super interesting. So, you know, a glass of wine, do you, when they recommend this, is it because they don't know? Is it because doctors don't necessarily have training in this or because quality of life, uh, you know, approaches may not include sexual fulfillment? It's such a great question. So I think it's twofold. Number one, I think it's because most practitioners don't have training in this because when you see training programs in medicine, they're just so diverse and they're focused on delivering babies or performing surgeries that these nuances of care that are so important to quality of life issues are just never really addressed. So I think that's number one. And then number two, I also think it's because there's such a stigma attached to having discussions like this, although we should be. And so when that stigma is there, people are not addressing it because they're not necessarily even bringing it up to their doctors, although we should be always talking about this. I wonder, do you ever hear people saying to men who are dealing with these sorts of issues, hey, just have a glass of wine and your, the pain in your, in your penis will go away? You can't see me right now, but I'm clapping my hands. Exactly this. No, we don't, right? And so when men have issues with erectile dysfunction, pain at the tip of the penis, you know, difficulties having an erection, these issues are always addressed almost immediately in the office. So there is such a discrepancy between that, and it's a huge issue. Well, interestingly, I actually have a question from, from a listener, a listener with a penis, uh, and maybe you, you can help with this. So he says that he's a 52-year-old who has pelvic pain and genital issues for many years. He, you know, he's thought it's all in his head. And his problem is with orgasm. It is either very painful or non-existent. And he says, in penetrative sex, I last about 30 seconds before ejaculating. And it feels like the head of my penis is being, ooh, uh, pushed through broken glass. Oh. And I have a tearing sensation between my legs. The 30-second thing is new, which, uh, you know, from my perspective makes sense. If if something feels like pushing through broken glass, uh, I imagine there's anxiety. And then he says, when I masturbate, there is no sensation whatsoever. I can feel the pulsing as I ejaculate, but that's it. No tingling, no pleasure. I just suddenly ejaculate. This is key. So, so. One thing I want to point out here is that oftentimes in pelvic pain, when it exists both in men and women, the causes are really similar. So in in someone like this, you have to understand that a lot of the issues are kind of twofold. And, And, you know, we use the term in medicine called neuromuscular because it involves the nerves and it involves the muscles. And when it involves the nerves and the muscles and oftentimes spasming of those pelvic floor muscles, what happens is that you decrease blood flow to this area. So 
people can feel pain at the tip of the penis. People can feel difficulty orgasming or pain with orgasming. That that shattered glass feeling that he's describing is actually very common in something in men that's known as CPPS, chronic pelvic pain syndrome. It used to be called chronic prostatitis, but that term doesn't really mean anything. So, you know, the long and short of it is that, yes, this is absolutely something that we see men with. Um, it, there is so much we can do to address it. Um, and I do think that, especially in my own practice, I see that people can get better with the right therapies. So he's definitely not alone in this, and it's, it's something that can be treated, though. And so the treatment, I know you can't you know, tell us exactly what right. it looks like, but what might it entail if, if he were to come to your office? So, it, so number one, as you said, it's, it's always individualized. You know, we have to take a look at that person, examine that person. But oftentimes, as I said, when things are neuromuscular, you have to really calm down the inflammation in the muscles. And that can be done all sorts of ways. One, with medication, sometimes with different suppositories. Something that's super helpful, which I've listened to on your podcast before, is actually pelvic floor PT, which men can have as well. And, and actually, pelvic floor physical therapy is super helpful for pain with erectile and orgasms. So, I mean, you don't realize these things, but they're all interconnected and so key. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, as I discussed, medications and pelvic floor PT, we also have procedures that can be done to fix this. So for lots of people who have this, sometimes we do things called trigger point injections or pelvic floor Botox. I know I'm kind of throwing out a lot of terms so you can stop me, but it, the point is that there's a ton that can be done when you individualize treatment. Uh, you know what? This is all new to me, and this person is saying that they've they've actually been told it's all in their head, uh, and they've seen urologists. Is there just a lack of, of, I guess, dissemination of information that these treatments are available? And I also I, have a question: What is a suppository? Uh, is it is it in where does it go? Because I only so think of one suppository. Yeah, so a suppository for men actually goes in the rectum. For women, oh, okay. can go either in the vagina or the rectum. So, okay. so there's different spots that we can put it in, but yes, either the rectum or the vagina. Um, and, you know, I forget, so thank you for asking that question because I, I want to make sure that we're, we're all on the same page about these things. Now, the in-your-head thing I just want to address because it's actually one of my biggest pet peeves, and I hear this all the time. It's in your head. It's in your head. And I think that there's a multitude of reasons that practitioners say this. Number one, Please know that it's not in your head. Is there a mind-body connection? 100%. We all know this. Um, and the problem is that issues down there can cause anxiety or can worsen anxiety. And so when you have that association there, you have to think about what's happening. And, and I want to go through this, and, and feel free to stop me. But remember how I said that it's a neuromuscular issue? and that the muscles spasm and it decreases blood flow and that affects erections or ejaculation? Mm -hmm. Now. If you're stressed out, what is your kind of reflex reaction? Have you ever seen people, they clench their jaw? Well, you can clench your pelvic floor muscles as well. So why does anxiety or stress worsen physiologic symptoms? There's actually a physiologic response in your body that's causing this to happen. So the in-your-head thing, I think, number one, is, is not an appropriate answer. And number two, there's a reason for that connection. That makes sense. And it, I mean, it certainly feels dismissive because in your head can make it sound like, oh, just just relax, just relax. And of course, if you tell me to relax, the last thing I'm going to do is relax. 
Right, exactly. And and I think it's also a lack of knowledge. I think when we don't know what to do, sometimes the, the easiest answer is to kind of say it's anxiety or stress. But I don't think that's the most effective answer for most patients. I could see Jess's face when she asked about the suppository for people with a penis because you're looking at me and thinking, is he thinking he has to put something into the penis? <laughs> and uh, it's very glad to hear that if there was an issue that needed uh, a suppository, it would be in the uh, in the anus, yeah. in the rectum. Yeah, even yeah. if you don't like things in your butt, you definitely want it in your butt yeah. more than in your urethra. If there's an option between the two, yeah, I'll take the back door. <laughs> no, I was going to say, and that's a great point, too. We can see how it's all connected in that area because that, and I didn't even think about that. So I think it's such a great point to see how all the muscles actually do kind of connect in the rectum. And that's why putting and a suppository in the rectum can actually help these symptoms. But great point. I, I wonder right now in the midst of this uh, pandemic that we're seeing, are you getting more people calling you? or contacting you through your clinic because of the added stress? Like, is there, has there been an increase in, in calls with people? A hundred percent. And, and like I said, I, I absolutely, I was actually having this conversation with a colleague the other day. And I think with the backdrop of everything that's going on, number one, people are not also addressing their symptoms as rapidly as they normally would. So it's kind of building up and building up and building up. And then the added stress and anxiety of kind of COVID and, and the climate is just making things worse, so for sure. You know, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about pelvic pain for the penis because I think oftentimes when we, we think about painful sex, it's just for the vagina. Right. And so normalizing this conversation, because this, this question I received from a listener, obviously many other people are going through this. So I really appreciate you addressing it and, and letting them know that there are multiple approaches uh, from pelvic floor therapy to injections to suppositories. Now, if, if we were to move to the vaginas, uh, we know that painful sex is far more common than perhaps is talked about. So we have you know a number of conditions that can lead to painful sex. And I'm wondering if you can walk us through some of those. For sure. Yeah. And I love this question because most people just don't even understand that there are multiple reasons that can cause painful sex. So it's not like having a common cold and you give someone a, a pill and then they're automatically better. In more, most cases, there's actually a multitude of causes that are occurring at the same time. And that's what makes it so hard to treat because you're trying to figure out what the actual pain generator is that's causing this person's painful sex. So I'm going to kind of go through an algorithm in my brain, although this might be a little confusing. So first things first, when someone comes into my office and says, I'm having painful sex, my first question to them is, it, is, is it with initial penetration or deep penetration or both? Because that kind of helps a schematic in my brain. So if it's with mostly with initial penetration, you're kind of looking at the vulva as a cause for painful sex. So is there some sort of an infection? Is there some sort of what we call a vulvar dermatosis, Or like you can have eczema on your hand, you can have eczema on your vulva. Um, hmm. or, or is there some sort of pain in the vulva that we can't see? So something that in the medical world we call vulvodynia or vestibulodynia, which is often a cause for painful sex. Um, now we'll take that to the other side. Let's say she says, you know what, initial penetration is okay, 
but deep penetration in different positions. Because remember, you don't want to just say you can only have sex in this position and that's it. So, you know, oh, if I, ha if I change positions, that really hurts. Now we're thinking more pelvic floor, okay? Because when those muscles are spasming around penetrative intercourse, it can often cause pain with deep penetration. So those are, so vulvodynia, vestibulodynia, pelvic floor dysfunction. Now, the other thing we have down there is the bladder. And so what people don't realize is that oftentimes with penetrative sex, even in the vagina, you're hitting up against the bladder. So if you have something known as interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome, you can have pain with penetrative intercourse as well. So there's a multitude of reasons, and those are just three scraping the, like, the surface of a few. Some patients can also have pain with clitoral stimula uh, stimulation, so clitoridinia. They can have pain with orgasm. They can have difficulty orgasming. So we have to layer therapy based on all of this stuff. So if we go back to the vulva and you said you can have eczema around the vulva, what would be like potential treatments for that? So, so, and I say that kind of just to make it understandable to everyone. So when, when I say vulvar dermatoses, we can things, have things like lichen sclerosis or lichen planus, or, and that's commonly what you would find there. So it really needs to be biopsied, and then uh, treatment would depend on what the actual pathology came back as. But oftentimes, um, using low-dose steroids in the vagina is helpful, but not for long periods of time, because that can actually thin out the tissue and cause more issues. And in terms of another thing we talk about often in, in sex therapy is, is vaginismus. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about vaginismus. So vaginismus is so interesting because it's, it's a little controversial in the pelvic pain world in the sense that a lot of people will say, what does vaginismus mean? Do you know what I mean? And so, so it, theoretically, vaginismus is involuntary contractions of the pelvic floor musculature, again, neuromusculature, neuromuscular in nature, that prevents penetration. Now, if you ask a specialist, they're going to tell you, well, there's different causes for actual vaginismus. So vaginismus, we have to break this down. So is it because there's a lot of nerves in the vulva in addition to the pelvic floor? So do we have a combination of what we would call neuroproliferative vestibulodynia and high-tone pelvic floor dysfunction? Because you can treat vaginismus. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's not something, because a lot, back in the day, people would think they just had to suffer with this, and they don't. So I think really breaking it down to these causes and addressing each and every one is what makes people be able to have the life that they want to. And so when we talk about vaginismus, um, for some people, vaginismus feels like you're hitting a brick hitting wall a when you, mm -hmm. yeah, and we, we've had, you know, pelvic floor therapists speak about it. In fact, we had a, a woman come on the, par on the, on the paragraph, on the podcast, uh, Meredith, mm -hmm. and talk about her experience overcoming and working through vaginismus. Um, now, what about clitoral pain? Because I'm less familiar with this. What, what does that look like? I mean, I guess it's pain when you touch the clitoris, but why does that occur and what can we do about it? So, it can be, again, due to, due to a couple of reasons. One, sometimes it can be due to what we call atrophy or thinning out of the clitoris, causing something that's called clitoral phimosis, where you can, can't really pull the hood of the clitoris up. And so that um, uh, kind of that 
sticking together can cause pain. That's one etiology of it. Secondly, the clitoris has a ton of nerves. We know this, right? And so sometimes the nerves fire more frequently than they would in someone else. And so when they fire more frequently, you can have pain with clitoral stimulation. You can have pain with orgasm. So it's another important part to um, really look at when you're looking at someone. You know, when we... When we talk about the clitoris, we often read in, in you know mainstream magazines that the head of the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody emailed me asking me for the source, actually one of the sex toy companies. Is this true? Do you know that? I mean, maybe you don't count nerve endings. Maybe that's not your focus. <laughs> um, so I don't count them, but the, the truth is yes. I mean, there are a ton of nerve endings on the clitoris, even understanding the innervation of the dorsal nerve of the clitoris, which is something that wasn't discussed in science even 10 years ago. So I think we're learning things every single day. And kind of what you're putting across, which is important, is that it's not necessarily important about the number of nerves, but understanding that it's probably one of the most innervated places in our body. So what do you do if you have trouble retracting the the hood or the foreskin of the clitoris and that's causing pain? Because that sounds familiar to me, you know, for the penis. Yeah, you absolutely have to see a physician who is specialized in this because, and and I just want to say that because, you know, you don't want to be tugging at that area on your own, especially because that can often cause bleeding, it can cause more pain, and and, and like we said, it's highly innervated. However, um, one thing that we can do, which is important, is you kind of want to have that tissue become more supple. And one therapy that's often helpful is even using like a low-dose estrogen testosterone in that area, just adding some hormones to that area to help um, increase blood flow and decrease that, that tethering of the skin. Does that tend to be topical? Yes. Okay, interesting. Now I have to ask about the the other end of the spectrum. So for some people, it's hypersensitive, uh, and, and that can lead to pain. But what about people who don't feel anything at all? You must hear from many patients who say, I don't really feel anything. And sometimes I interpret that and you have to ask more questions. You know, is it that you don't feel pleasure? Is it that you don't feel what you think you're supposed to feel? But some people say they feel really nothing at all. And I think this is one of the hardest things to treat because just like you just said, in this situation, there are actually a multitude of levels that are related to this. So part of it is absolutely physiologic. Why are they not feeling anything? And where does that begin? So remember, when we're thinking about these issues, we're thinking very locally, but they don't necessarily always have to be local. There's a lot of new data looking at spinal pathology actually related to things like this. So where does this begin, this this kind of schematic of not being able to feel anything? And then there is libido and arousal and sexual health involves also involves, you know, a psychological component to it. So there's always that inner like that interrelation that we have to evaluate. So it's a tougher question to answer only because that is really so dependent on exam. And, you know, you you speak about a, a holistic approach. So you have a background in, in the pelvic floor as well as in medicine. Uh, can you break down overall what does a holistic guide to navigating pelvic pain look like? And, of course, people can go to your website, pelvicpaindoc.com, uh, and you have, you have your book. But what, what does it mean to be holistic? What are you looking at? What are the layers? So, you know, I think it's really important to look at every human as 
uh, an entire human and not just, you know, a problem-based approach. And I think that's one part of medicine that has to change almost immediately because in medicine, we look at different systems, right? You see a GI doctor for your colon. You see a GYN if you have a vulva or a vagina. You see a urologist if you have a penis. But why, why are people tossed around from doctor to doctor? Because we're not taking a step back and looking at all the organs kind of and how they work as one. And that's really the key for why I even uh, think this is so important because when you look at it all at one, you see how it's interconnected. So peeling the onion really involves looking at how the vagina plays a role in the pelvic floor or how the penis and the prostate plays a role in the pelvic floor, how all of these are related to the bowel because we can't forget that the bowel's increase in constipation, increase in GI disorders actually has a connection to the pelvic floor and the pelvis as well. So um, so for me, it's really number one, taking a step back and, and figuring out, so we have a lot to deal with today. And I often say this to patients in my office, we have a lot to talk about today, but what is your biggest concern right now? And, and that's a hard thing, uh, thing to tease out because addressing the biggest concern helps us take that first layer out to figure out what the next layer would even be. Because sometimes when you treat one thing, you unmask another set of symptoms, which is important to evaluate as well. Now, you bring up the, the bowel and the pelvic floor, and I think most of us don't think about the bowels affecting our sexual response, uh, orgasm, ejaculation, pleasure, uh, and you brought up constipation. So constipation, can that either affect your sexual response and sexual functioning, or can it even be a symptom uh, related yes. to sexual functioning? I'd love to talk about that because I've never, never yes. come across that. But I'm sure people yes. um, have anecdotally been kind of tracking this on their own, but maybe are too shy to bring it up. So yes, 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 100%. So there's actual scientific data on this, and it's known as the bowel-bladder connection. So we know scientifically that the nerves, that synapse on these neurons, synapse on both the bladder and the bowel and the pelvic floor. So that's one part of it. The second part of it that's super cool, so remember how we talked about the stress and clenching your jaw and clenching your pelvic floor and how that's related? Let's take that into the bowel now. If someone comes in with constipation, one of my first questions is, do you ever notice that your symptoms of uh, frequency, urgency, pain with ejaculation, or pain with deep penetration increases when you're constipated? And almost always the answer is yes. Why? Because those muscles are spasming and contracting more when you're constipated because what do you do when you're constipated? How do you get poop out? You push, you strain to get it out more. And so what you do is actually cycle into the hypertonic pelvic floor. And that's really how it's related. And so when you say a holistic guide, you know, this includes your diet, I presume. A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. And, and it includes your diet for a few reasons. One, obviously constipation is important, but we have to remember that a multitude of these issues are due to chronic inflammation. So in, in eating a lot of inflammatory ingredients, which we don't realize that we do, can absolutely affect your ability to have enjoyable sex, painless sex, good sex. And, and we don't think about it that way, but it's true and there's data on it. 
So is there a, I mean, I know that there's not a panacea, but is there something people could be changing in their diets or adding to their diets that might overall, you know, improve our sexual functioning as it relates to to our bowel and bladder? Please tell me that it's coffee and wine. Because <laughs> then we're good. Because then we're I'm good. okay. We're good. <laughs> that is actually hilarious because I would say the biggest culprits in the bladder are both coffee and wine because what does that do? It makes you pee more. It increases your frequency. But... To that, to that point, uh, you know, if someone said to, and my patients always say, if someone told me to give up coffee or wine, I'd be like, no way, because again, this is a quality of life issue, right? So we're trying to balance things out. I would say that there's no hard and fast rules in diet. Um, usually, things that are helpful are anti-inflammatory diets. So decreasing inflammation in your diet, you know, sometimes limiting the amount of dairy that we have is super helpful. Um, and then, and then, of course, making sure that if there is what we call in the pelvic pain world a dietary trigger, that it's eliminated. So there are certain foods, um, coffee, wine, <laughs> acidic foods, that can actually trigger the bladder and trigger the pelvic floor. And so for some patients, they can become more symptomatic with certain foods. For others, it might not affect them. But individually, looking at that is super important. Are there foods that are generally anti-inflammatory? You know, this is interesting because a lot of people ask me this, um, and, and I'm Indian by background, so a lot of this Ayurvedic medicine is actually based on an anti-inflammatory, like, history. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah. you know, in this day and age, everyone talks about turmeric, for example, right? Turmeric is one of these, like, spices that has anti-inflammatory effects to it, which it does. But one thing that I want to point out is that it's really important that you want to activate the curcumin. So just putting turmeric in your food is not going to do anything, or taking a turmeric supplement is not going to do anything. You need either something fatty to activate the curcumin, or you need something spicy. So that's interesting because in Indian food, you always mix turmeric with black pepper. And it's because the black pepper actually activates the curcumin so that it works with an anti-inflammatory effect to it. So yes, there are anti-inflammatory things that we can add to our diet, but it's important that we add them correctly because otherwise they just don't have the potential to work the way they would normally have to work. I've got to ask about uh, curcumin. Is that the ingredient that needs to be activated for the turmeric to be effective? Yeah, so 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 in turmeric, curcumin is the what we call the bioflavonoid. So it's actually the um, ingredient that works to stimulate anti-inflammatory properties to it. Thank you for that. Just making sure I understand everything, so I don't go sprinkle turmeric into everything and hope that it just works. <laughs> turmeric in my morning strawberry smoothie. <laughs> it's okay, whatever works. I will be pissed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is your is your work informed by Ayurvedic medicine? You know, my holistic approach to medicine is my grandfather was an Ayurvedic doctor and my parents, you know, just kind of had it in my life all the time. And then when I started studying integrative medicine, I really think one of the most important parts of all of our health is prevention. And so, you know, one of the problems in life now is that we're always treating, treating, treating. And that often involves, as we talked about, medications, procedures, which obviously I love to do. I mean, that's my training. But at the same time, if we 
support preventative medicine in terms of a good diet, a good healthy lifestyle, and understanding how things are all connected, I think that the longevity of treatment just lasts longer. So for sure, it's something that's impacted the way that I treat patients, but I think it's just so key to seeing people get better and stay better. You know, if you fix something, that's great, but if you fix something and it comes right back, then did you really fix it? So I think this is all an important part of adding this into our thought process when we're thinking about health in general. This makes sense. So for folks who may be experiencing pelvic pain, uh, if you're in Manhattan, obviously, they can see you. Do you see people digitally? I do. I, I see people on telehealth all the time. In fact, right now, because of COVID, it's, it's been a real nice thing because those laws preventing us from, you know, interstate and even internationally are no longer really applicable. Um, and, and our medical licenses have been allowed to kind of um, to see patients all over. And, and that's been really great. And, and I, I always have had patients kind of fly in from different places just because there's not a lot of people who do this stuff, but now it's so much easier because telehealth is something I will never get rid of. I think it's amazing, and I think there's so much you can do with it, even just over a computer, like the conversation that we're having right now, you know? I mean, it's so important. Yeah, well, Brandon and I fully agree, and <laughs> we're, we're getting on board with telehealth here in, in Canada. We have an app called Get Maple, and you can see a doctor at any time of the day, and it just it makes so much sense to us. So uh, folks can see you online, pelvicpaindoc.com. Before I let you go, is there anything people can do on their own to address, you know, symptoms of pelvic pain? Yeah, for sure. And, And so, you know, number one, acknowledging it, not ignoring it, I think is key. Because when you acknowledge it, and you say, I have so many people who come into my office, that have had pain for years and they say, you know, I just thought it was something that I had and I kind of ignored it because that's just what I thought was normal. So number one, having conversations, understanding that that there are things that we can do is key. Lots of people bring up lubricants. I love lubricants. I think lubricants are great. But just like science, lubricants are, can be individualized to people, and they should be. So, you know, you don't need to just buy any lubricant from your drugstore. There are actually lubricants that have probiotics in them that have, um, and you want to stay away from parabens and sulfates, but we have lubricants that can be really helpful to patients who are having maybe like a little bit of pain, but they're not really sure if it's even pain or just discomfort. That's kind of like a good place to start. But again, that's not usually the end all be all for it, but that's something that you can do at home. Um, a lot of times with pelvic floor musculature, I discussed a lot about spasming and contracting. So you actually want to be lengthening the muscles to help relax them. And that's why we talked about pelvic floor PT, but even at home yoga is super helpful. Um, especially if patients are having what's called pain with deep penetration. All yoga is not made equal. So, you know, I, I don't mean do like hot yoga or shtanga yoga, anything that you're contracting your pelvic floor, but anything that you're relaxing your pelvic floor can be helpful as well. Um, so, you know, heating pads are also helpful, warm baths, because they help you relax your pelvic floor muscles, decreasing constipation. I mean, there's a ton of things that we could go through, you know, but those are just some of the first ones that I would say, um, even to get started on as you're kind of navigating this process. 
this all makes so much sense to me. I, I really appreciate your holistic approach. And I think holistic is a word that kind of gets tossed around. Uh, but hearing you speak from the perspective of pelvic floor therapy, from the perspective of, of Western medicine, from the perspective of Ayurvedic medicine, talking about yoga and the integration of these ancient Eastern practices that have been keeping billions of people healthy <laughs> for yeah. for so many generations. I really, really appreciate your perspective. Highly encourage people to go check out pelvicpaindoc.com as well as your holistic guide to navigating pelvic pain available on your website. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. Really, really appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Appreciate uh, you guys. We have so many questions and we'd love to have you back again. Oh, I'd love to do this. I love how you're making these conversations normal and you're making, and they should be. And just like having this conversation is so key to me. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Dr. Sonia Balani. Thank you. I really appreciate this discussion, and I especially appreciate medical practitioners who are actually holistic, who don't just slap the label on, but we hear her talking about yoga. Ayurvedic practices, integrative medicine, other types of medicine, pelvic floor therapy. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, if I had an issue, certainly I'd, I'd want to go to her. <laughs> Wonderful bedside manner from this conversation that we yeah. had today for a topic that would make me a little self-conscious. I think I already feel like I could have a very effective conversation with her where I, I think she could find any problems that I have and help me fix them. So I like that already. And the good news is the suppository doesn't go in your penis. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> Did I look squeamish? Yeah, that's you... why I asked the question. Well, I do know where a suppository goes, but thank you for clarifying. No, I mean, I know what a suppository <laughs> is, but well, here I can have an I can have it in my rectum or I can have a vaginal suppository. So when she was talking about the penis, I was like, I don't know, maybe they just slide it in the head there. Yeah, no, like I said, on that podcast conversation in the back door, if I had to take one, totally fine with me. It, it's a reverse kidney stone. <laughs> hey, actually, I shouldn't make fun because there are people who enjoy, um, and it's part of their kink sounding. So I want to be be clear that, you know, as much as it sounds very painful to you, and I don't have a penis, but if I did, it sounds, everything sounds painful to a penis for me. To each their own. Your penis right? seems so sensitive. You know what? It has feelings too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, I want to be clear, not making fun, whatever you're into, we really do want to support you. If you have questions, please reach out to us. We want to have them answered on the podcast. I know we've got a little bit of a backlog. Uh, do check out Dr. Sonia Balani's work at pelvicpaindoc.com. It's so difficult for me to say doc dot in a row. And the nice thing right now is the ability to see her virtually must really uh, increase the ability to, for people to get these problems fixed if they want to. Right. Telemedicine. Here we go. Love it. And uh, it, folks, check out womanizer.com. Use code Dr. Jess. They've got some incredible toys on sale. Make sure you check out Intimately You on TSC, Today's Shopping Choice. So that's, you know, if you're not as familiar with it, it's like the, you know, the sh home shopping network uh, here in Canada. And they've got a show all about adults. And actually, it's going to be on City TV as well in Canada. It's going to be on City TV. Actually, I should add that. But it's called Intimately You. Can you, would you be willing to hire me to be your Vanna White? Could, no I sh sh could I showcase them? My hands probably need a manicure. You can be Vanna White, yes. Yes. Yeah, but you'll make all your massive hands will make the sex toys look so small when in fact they're not. That's okay. You're very, your hands are very frightening. 
Thank you. <laughs> In a good way. I like it too. All right, folks, wherever you're at, have a great one. Thank you so much to Dr. Sonia Balani. Thank you to you for listening. And we'll be back next weekend, every week with a whole new episode. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Thank you.